0: Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams.
1: On Agriculture. Well, another week. What a busy week it has been. And we have, we continue to talk about these uh, key stories over and over. They're very much in the news. President Trump threatens more tariffs on China as the war of words escalates between the two countries. The renewable fuels industry seeks answers on RFS waivers granted by EPA as the pressure mounts on Administrator Pruitt and sign up for a revised dairy margin protection program set to begin on Monday. But we start today with the China situation. We're trying to Look at it from all different angles, get a lot of different perspectives. Joining us uh, today is Joe Sheely, Vice President of Communications for the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Joe, thanks for joining us. It's a time where everyone's kind of trying to figure all this out, what's happening, what could happen, what's the potential uh, damage that could occur from this if it continues to escalate from a meat export standpoint. What does all this mean for U.S. exports?
2: Well, thank you, Mike. Uh, of course, the the only tariffs that have actually been imposed uh, to date are on exports of U.S. pork entering China. Uh, China is a, an, an important market. It's not as large, for example, as Mexico, but it's an important market, especially for pork variety meat, uh, items like feet, ears, tails, uh, organ internal organs that type of thing ship a lot of those products to china and we've been in a situation where china's overall demand for imports has been on a downward cycle based on its uh, domestic production china is largely self-sufficient in pork but its industry is so massive that whenever it has a a, even a, a slight decrease in domestic production uh... that opens up new opportunities for not only the united states but Euro- European exporters, Canadian exporters, uh, and we were enjoying that situation really up until about the end of 2016. Uh, for the last year and a half or so, China's domestic production has been up, and so that, that space for imported pork has already been tightening. Uh, it will uh, be a bit tougher to penetrate for U.S. pork now with the, uh, the additional 25 percent tariff in effect.
1: And, of course, when we look at the potential uh, damage, we look at the beef sales to China. It remains to be seen how this is going to play out, but certainly there's a lot at stake there as we try to open that market up to U.S. beef.
2: Right. These are under two separate proceedings. The pork tariffs were uh, specifically in retaliation for the steel and aluminum tariffs, uh, the, the uh proceeding in which beef might or might not become entangled is I think a bit more complicated. It will require some more time to play out uh, and we're hopeful that uh that no tariffs, no additional tariffs will go into effect on US beef. As you mentioned, we we um, we just re entered the Chinese market the middle of last year and we cautioned that it would it would take some time to grow that market. Uh, because we've been out of it for more than 13 years, and because of some uh, very specific import requirements that China has, uh, not not a large percentage of the U.S. beef supply is eligible for China. And so it, it has been, the growth has been somewhat slow and steady. We've we've been reasonably happy with, with how the market has developed over the past nine months or so. The the product has been very well received Uh, customers are are very pleased with it it's just been a a question of finding enough available supply uh, to meet those demands and so we're hopeful that we can continue that work and that uh, we can we can continue to to build uh, a foothold for U.S. beef in what is a a very promising
1: market we're talking with Joe Sheely vice president communications for the U.S. Meat Export Federation so Joe it is complicated Uh, it's hard to sometimes you know sort out what's real and happening now, what potentially could happen. Then you have the president talking about adding even more tariffs. And, of course, China, uh, you know, they answer back. And that's what you get into with these types of things. Hopefully, cooler heads will prevail and and resolutions will be found. But you have to kind of prepare for the possibility of uh, escalation of these trade tensions, because until we hear differently, I mean, that seems to be the path we're on.
2: Well, there is a lot of uncertainty out there. Uh, we, we are uh, first and foremost a marketing organization, so we try to stay in our lane. We don't get too involved in the policy issues, uh, and and but we do spend a lot of of, of attention and resources uh, reassuring customers about the reliable reliability of the United States as a supplier and so that's what we're trying to do uh, i have to say that uh, not only in the chinese market but in some of the other markets where there's been a lot of uncertainty around trade negotiations and trade agreements our customers for us beef and pork have been exceptionally loyal uh they've been steadfast in their support uh, we're seeing uh, outstanding export performance and so uh... i think that just goes to show how important it is to have experienced staff in these markets uh... really working those business relationships and making sure that the customers have have keep a good impression of of the united states as a supplier we feel that has gone on but but uh... when you do actually reintroduce additional tariffs then then that sort of takes the uh, takes it to a, a, an entirely different different level as trying to as far as customer retention is concerned.
1: Yeah, later in the program, we're going to talk with Tom Slate, President and CEO of the U.S. Grains Council. We talked to him a lot about these relationships when you're developing markets and how important those relationships are. And, and you just use that word relationships as well. So. It, you spend a lot of time now, I guess, when when all this is in the news, you have to try to reassure those customers that the U.S. will be a reliable uh, supplier.
2: Yes, and that's that's one of the things that we emphasize is that the the government to government tensions don't always translate to uh, to friction on the business side. I I like to say that, for example, the Mexican government doesn't buy eight hundred thousand metric tons of U.S. pork private companies buy that product and they buy it because it works very well for them performs well for them it's something that their customers like and so we try to emphasize that we try to emphasize those business-to-business relationships uh, obviously you can't ignore uh... the tensions between governments and you you have to stay informed on those issues uh, but you really don't have a lot of control over that situation. So you try to focus, try to stay in your lane, so to speak, and, and focus on uh, keeping those business relationships on a positive trajectory.
1: Yeah, things like this make it harder to do that, but uh, that's why you've got good people in those places uh, doing that work. Joe, thanks a lot. Good to talk with you, and uh, we'll stay in touch with the uh, Meat Export Federation as uh, these uh, issues uh, continue to develop. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. Joe Sheely, Vice President Communications for the U.S. Meat Export Federation. As I mentioned later in the program, Tom Slate, President CEO of the U.S. Grains Council will join us, see if there's any impact so far as far as grain sales are concerned uh, with all this tariff talk going on. Also coming up today, Bob Danine, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. His um, strong feelings on the EPA, what's going on there with the waivers uh, for refineries. Uh, on the RFS. Lots to talk about with Bob. Coming up next, though, John Newton with the American Farm Bureau Federation. Some details on this new margin protection program for the dairy industry. Sign-up starts on Monday. We'll get some analysis next on AOA Adams on
3: Agriculture. The mighty Prosoro, king of fungicides. It's fast action and long residual make it the keeper of grain quality and yield. The hammer of head and leaf diseases. The number one reducer of scab. When your goal is greater wheat quality and higher yield, use Prosaro fungicide and the crown of higher profit will be yours. Learn more at prosaro.us. Always read and follow label instructions.
0: call to receive a free dvd and brochure and find out how you can own a thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day right now they're offering zero percent apr financing with approved credit and a one thousand dollar savings coupon including free delivery free chemicals and a cash discount and with bottles starting at four thousand nine hundred ninety five dollars there will never be a better time to own a thermospas hot tub So call now and ask about this limited-time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing.
5: If you or your family love the freedom of swimming any time of year, If you love sharing good times and making great memories, or if you want one of the best total body workouts ever, then it's time to discover the three C's of your very own endless pool. The first C is convenience. Imagine swimming year-round in your own private swimming pool, installed indoors or out, just steps away. The second C is comfort. With sculpted spa seats and your own adjustable temperature, you can easily escape the stress of your day. And the third C is cost. Your endless pool is an affordable luxury at a fraction of the cost of a regular pool. And here's a bonus C. Choice because when you call for your free endless pool idea kit you'll receive information on our full line of pools to suit your budget and location
0: call now for your free information 800-717-0734 800-717-0734 information America's farmers and ranchers need to know Adams on agriculture now back to Mike Adams Welcome back.
1: Appreciate Joe Sheely with the U.S. Meat Export Federation joining us as we continue to get different reaction and perspectives on what's going on between the U.S. and China. And whether it's a trade war or at least right now, at least it's a war of words going on between the two. It's uh, harder and harder for groups that are trying to and companies trying to sell products into China it makes it harder to keep it business as usual with all this going on above them, but uh, they are trying to do that, and uh, we'll keep you updated on uh, on how this is all progressing and the impact it, it is having and can have on U.S. agriculture. Well, we mentioned and talked about this yesterday. We had Jim Mulhern, president and CEO of the National Milk Producers Federation, on with us, talking about the uh, revised Dairy Margin Protection Program. The sign-up begins Monday, this coming Monday, and runs through June 1st. We talked about some of the changes, some of the uh, improvements made in MPP. I want to get some more analysis on that from John Newton. He's Director of Market Intelligence for the American Farm Bureau Federation. He has uh, uh, looked uh, and and dissected and analyzed the MPP for some time. John, thank you for joining us.
4: Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me.
1: So some significant changes, and I think some changes, uh, and this is a time – to be clear, uh, dairy producers are facing some really tough times now, so uh, any improvement, any help that can come their way is much needed. Uh, What's your assessment of this new margin protection program? How much better is it?
4: Well, they've made some some pretty key improvements that that really align with what our grassroots members across the country who have been looking at the margin protection program over the last two years. They had identified some areas uh, that would make this program work better and and I think that they've really hit on a number of those things uh such as making the program more affordable uh, making the payments timelier uh they're making the payments on a monthly basis versus bi-monthly and then raising that catastrophic coverage level from 4 to 5 million pounds for uh, tier 1 producers so some some very good improvements in the program
1: now this was done through the uh, spending bill but as Jim Mulhern told us yesterday, there are still more things that need to be addressed, perhaps will be in, in the Farm Bill. What else needs to be addressed, in your opinion, John?
4: Well, there's, there's certainly a lot of different things that are on the table right now for that next Farm Bill. I know our grassroots members uh, have, have indicated that they'd like to see some adjustments in the feed formula, uh, whether that means using a high-quality alfalfa hay or, or reviewing uh, the types of feed ingredients that are used in that ration. Uh, there's also conversations coming out of the House side that would indicate raising that higher coverage level from the $8 level to potentially uh, 9 or nine fifty. dollars uh, That would certainly make MPP trigger a lot more than it had in the past uh, and deliver deliver some much needed assistance to dairy farmers when milk prices or margins are, are very low.
1: Now, some things to just pass along to dairy producers, uh, make sure they're aware that they must select coverage for 2018 even if they enroll during the previous sign-up period last fall and coverage choices made this spring for this calendar year will be retroactive to January 1st and producers can participate in either MPP or the Livestock Gross Margin Program for dairy but not both. Let's look at the two uh, the two programs, MPP and Livestock Gross Margin Program. Uh, what's the difference? What what uh, are the strengths of each one of those, John, and for farmers as they look at which one to go with?
4: Well, well, Mike, the, the key is they're both margin based risk management tools. Uh, MPP is is based on the US. national average margin, uh, national average milk price and then the national average of these different feed ingredients. Uh, the coverage levels under MPP are fixed, as is the, the premium rates. Uh, those are also fixed. LGM operates uh, more similar to a crop insurance product uh, in that the pr- the prices uh, fluctuate uh, based on the market prices on that last uh, Friday of the month when they can buy it. Uh, it's based on the class three milk price and then the CME corn and soybean meal futures prices uh, on that business Friday and the premium rates fluctuate with the risk environment. That's the key difference between the two programs. LGM allows you to cover uh, up to 11 months, uh, but you can cover as few as one or two months, uh, whereas MPP requires that enrollment for the entire calendar year. So those are the big differences uh, in the two programs. And then I'll also add uh, you know, Farm Bureau worked with, with industry stakeholders over the last year to develop a new uh, dairy revenue insurance product, and that product was approved by the Federal Crop Insurance Corporation. And so at this point in time, we're working with USDA to deliver that product Uh, Sometime in 2018, so that's also another option that will be coming down the pipe for for dairy farmers.
1: Yeah, how close are you on that?
4: Uh, We're looking at at sometime in in late summer of 2018 is is when this thing could potentially be uh, introduced. Again, we're working with USDA on a daily uh, basis, setting up the policy and, and things of that nature so that we can quickly get this delivered to farmers.
1: Can you give us a little bit of a preview on that? Because you and I have talked about this in the past. and know this is something you've been working on for some time.
4: Yeah, we've been working on it for some time. Uh, again, the, the product's called dairy revenue insurance. Uh, I can't get into too many specifics due to the, the nature of the Federal mm-hmm. Crop Insurance Act. Uh, prohibits uh, us from really getting into the policy details. Uh, but just that it's designed to help farmers protect the revenue uh, from milk sales, very similar to uh, the existing revenue protection policies in the crop space that's so popular for corn, soybeans, wheat. We, we tried to really mimic that success and bring it to the dairy complex.
1: Talking with John Newton, director of market intelligence for the American Farm Bureau Federation. John, we know the previous margin protection program had trouble attracting participation from producers. Do you expect this uh, uh, this new one, the revised one, to to get more participation?
4: You know, one of the things, and I just received this information uh, early this week, we looked at the enrollment in 2018, so in 2017, we knew we had about 20,000 dairy farmers that were enrolled in MPP, and Secretary Perdue, going into 2018, allowed farmers to opt out, and so the participation data uh, was only about 5,000 farms elected to stay in the Margin Protection Program. Uh, during that last enrollment period. So I think the things that Congress did uh, to make it more attractive certainly creates an opportunity uh, for dairy farmers to go back and, and reevaluate and run the numbers to see if it works for them. Uh, just looking at some of the numbers, we saw the February margin at $6.88. The March margins also expected to be uh, below $7 per hundredweight. So uh, for farms covering at or below 5 million pounds of milk, uh, it you know it's a... It, it really can pencil out to be a valuable risk management tool for 2018. I think for farmers covering anything above 5 million pounds, uh, they really need to do the math because those premium rates are a lot higher uh, for anything covered above 5 million pounds of milk. And that's where, again, programs like the LGM Dairy uh, or other other risk management tools that come, become available in 2018 are so important to consider uh, because we also were able in the Bipartisan Budget Act uh, to remove the livestock cap on, on insurance policies and that benefits uh, pork, cattle and dairy. So we had previously been limited to twenty million dollars a fiscal year for all livestock policies to provide administrative and subsidies uh, on those policies and that cap was removed. So that now uh, opens the door for, for farmers to more widely utilize uh, those livestock crop insurance tools.
1: How? Widely used are those livestock policies or do they get a lot of uh, sign-up?
4: You know, they, they hadn't in the past. LGM was probably the most widely used. Uh, livestock risk protection on the pork and beef side were used somewhat. Those, those policies carried uh, a 13% subsidy. LGM carried as much as a 50% subsidy for dairy. Uh, the challenge was that $20 million cap. You never knew if the product was going to be consistently available. So, as a as a dairy farmer, you couldn't consistently count on that to be integrated into your risk management toolbox. Uh, but now, with that with that livestock cap being removed, that means that you you will have access to an LGM, uh, and you will have access to to any other dairy uh, insurance products that will be released by USDA in 2018.
1: Well, these are important decisions, and uh, as you said, each dairy producer must look at what's best for their particular operation. The the dairy Price outlook doesn't look real encouraging. John makes these decisions even more important.
4: That's right. I mean, we we just saw, quite frankly, the the dairy margin in February at six eighty eight was at a twenty month low. Uh, the milk price in February was fifteen dollars and thirty cents. That's the lowest level that we saw since the spring of twenty sixteen as well. Uh, and we're not even looking at what what the rest of this spring flush is going to do to milk prices. Uh, across the country. So it's definitely going to get tough before it gets better. Uh, And as you indicated on the segment before, all this rhetoric around trade uh, certainly creates even more uncertainty. So what that does to the feed prices, as well as what that does to the milk prices, uh, I'd I'd say Lord help us if China says they're going to put a tariff on on dairy products, uh, because that would be uh, the worst case scenario.
1: John Newton, Director of Market Intelligence for the American Farm Bureau Federation. John, thanks a lot, and we'll look forward to talking with you uh, later in the year when the, the new insurance program comes out, okay?
4: Thanks a lot. I appreciate the opportunity to
1: join you. All right. Thank you, John. Coming up next, Bob Danine, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. His thoughts on what's going on with EPA and their attempt to, uh, look what it looks like is undermine the RFS by granting these waivers to refiners. The renewable fuels industry wants some answers. We'll try to get some of those answers and ask some of the questions with Bob Denis next on AOA Adams on Agriculture.
6: Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit?
7: Time for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Soybean futures are tumbling as trade tensions between the U.S. and China increase on President Trump's threat to expand the scope of tariffs. Most traders hopeful this is all just posturing at this point. New tariff threats swaying on soybeans in the overnight trade. China vowing to hit back forcefully if the U.S. imposes additional tariffs on $100 billion worth of Chinese goods. In the grain and oil seed sector, in soybean futures, we are trending 9 to 11 cents lower. May contract down 9 and 3 quarters, Ten twenty one and a half. and a half. November down 11 at 1023. In corn, the May contract down 2 and a quarter, 387 and a quarter. December down 2 and a quarter at 411. Wheat, Minneapolis. May contract up twelve cents six oh one and three quarters September up ten and three quarters six twenty and a quarter cent Chicago wheat trending three to four cents higher on this Friday July new crop up four at four eighty five and a quarter Kansas City wheat July up five and a quarter at five twenty one and three quarters of a cent Livestock at the Merck mostly higher on Thursday a little bit of bargain buying we are backing up though on this Friday. For cash cattle in the Central and Southern Plains, probably wrapped up for the week, we've seen sales some 3 to $4 lower per hundredweight compared to a week ago. Asking prices expected to be around 120 plus in the South, 190 to 192 on a dress basis in the North. Feeder cattle yesterday nearly $3 higher. Lean hog futures were a mix. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson.
5: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Welcome back. We mentioned
1: this yesterday. The Renewable Fuels Association has submitted Freedom of Information Act requests to both the U.S. EPA and Department of Energy to try to get more information and transparency regarding the recent issuance of renewable fuel standard compliance exemptions oil refineries. Joining us now is Bob Dineen, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Bob, thanks for joining us. Um, At this point, do we have any idea how many of these uh, waivers they've granted?
8: Well, part of the problem is that there is no transparency with this process. And, and, uh, you know, Administrator Pruitt is a smart guy. Uh, And in November, he finalized an RVO uh, renewable volume obligation rulemaking of 15 billion gallons fulfilling the president's promise to farmers across this country that he would abide a by a 15 billion gallon requirement so he fulfilled that but before the ink was dry on that rulemaking administrative Pruitt began a fire sale on these waiver requests after the rulemaking so that the gallons that are waived cannot be reallocated to other companies. It was a deliberate effort to reduce the 15 billion gallons uh, and in contradiction to what the president himself had promised farmers. Now, we understand through company SEC filings, not through EPA, that there could be as many as 25 companies that have received these small refinery hardship waivers. Now, we're talking about companies like Endeavor, which may not be familiar to your uh, listeners, but Endeavor is the fifth largest refinery in the country. It made $1.5 billion last year. Hardly a company that needs a hardship waiver. And it is in complete uh, contrast to what. The act itself requires, and and because we are so frustrated that the EPA has not been transparent about it, we sent the agency a letter in January saying, you know, we understand these are happening, please tell us. And they've ignored that letter. They've ignored requests from members of Congress. They've ignored requests from other stakeholders. And so that's why we felt the need to go to the Freedom of Information Act process to try to force epa to answer some of these basic questions how many companies how many gallons what's the standard that you are using to uh, grant these waivers because in the past mike there have been maybe three or four a year that have been granted all of a sudden we're looking at 25 and epa says well this the standard by which we are evaluating these hasn't changed i just don't think so clearly the standard has changed how why What are you asking these companies to provide to demonstrate an actual hardship? Because I just find it hard to believe that the fifth largest refinery in the country uh, that made $1.5 billion last year uh, is in financial hardship over this. You know, first of all, ethanol is cheaper than gasoline today. Tell me where the economic hardship is to anybody, be it a refiner or a consumer of blending more of a lower-priced, higher-octane fuel into gasoline. There is none.
1: We're talking with Bob Dineen, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Bob, yesterday Senator Grassley told us uh, here on Adams on Agriculture that the EPA Administrator is acting against the law granting these uh, these waivers. What does the law actually say about who qualifies for a waiver and how long that waiver should be in place?
8: Well, the, uh, the law says a small refinery defined as less than 75,000 barrels per day would be eligible for a waiver from the agency if it can demonstrate that it has a uh, disproportionate economic harm uh, or some hardship uh, associated with the use of this program. But <laughs> there are some of the refineries that we understand, again, through their own SEC filings that have produced more than 75,000 barrels a day that have been granted a waiver uh, from EPA. So clearly in, in violation of the statute. But I think Senator Grassley as well, who's been a phenomenal advocate for farmers uh, and ethanol on these issues, has, has hit the nail on the head. It goes beyond just that. The intent of Congress was most certainly not to just allow EPA to give a blanket exemption to any without any kind of criteria, without any real demonstration of hardship associated with this program. And it would seem that today all you need to do to get a waiver from Scott Pruitt uh, from this program is to have a stamp and his address. You don't have to make any real demonstration. You don't have to demonstrate that you're truly negatively impacted from this program and that is not what the statute allows.
1: Now I remember asking this question during the Obama administration with Gina McCarthy heading up EPA I said is the EPA administrator acting at that time on her own or under directions from the White House and I asked that question yesterday to Senator Grassley he, he said he thinks Scott Pruitt's acting on his own but even if that's the case Bob I mean the White House has to be aware that this is going on and they're allowing it to happen.
8: I'm not sure that the White House has been aware of what EPA has been doing until the past week when it became, you know, uh, known more in the media and uh, SEC filings started to come out and we started promoting the fact, I don't think at all, that Scott Pruitt was sending the president a memo saying, "Oh, by the way, uh, the 15 billion gallon promise that you met to farmers, I've reduced by a billion gallons by gar- granting these waivers." No, Scott Pruitt hasn't been doing that. There's been no transparency. This is absolutely a Scott Pruitt, not even career personnel at the agency. This is a Scott Pruitt mission. He has been doing this. It's like he's got these waiver requests that he keeps in his pocket, and if he sees a a uh, refiner at his condo in on Capitol Hill, he'll give him a waiver. I mean, it, it, because there is no process, really. There is no criteria. And he's most certainly not following the statute. And I do not believe he is following the instructions of the president of the United States that has made an ironclad promise to farmers of 15 billion gallons.
1: Okay, good point. If the So if the White House did not know it, they, they certainly should be aware of it now. What do you expect or hope they will do now in response to this?
8: Well, you know, they, there's been discussions at the White House uh, for months now uh, because independent refiners have been whining about this program and how they want to have changes to the program to reduce the cost of compliance and and what to do about it. In my mind, the revelations from this week should stop those conversations in its tracks. And the and the response from the White House ought to be, Scott Pruitt, enough with the demand destruction. You have uh, undermined my agenda. You have undermined congressional intent with respect to the RFS. You've undermined the benefits of this program to consumers and farmers across this country with your demand destruction. No more talk of that. It's now time for demand creation. It's now time to allow E15 to be used year-round grant the e 15 rvp waiver let's start talking about demand creation and enough of this other nonsense because you've given independent refiners far more than they've deserved
1: so you don't think and i'm not trying to create some conspiracy here but i remember at the time of the meetings with senator cruz at the white house and came away and looked like uh, you know he wasn't going to get anything and a lot of speculation that surely uh, Senator Cruz wasn't going to walk out of that just give up and not get anything you don't think there was any connection or any uh, under the table deal or something set up that uh, will let the RFS basically stand but we can go this backdoor way to uh, to uh, undermine it
8: well I don't know if it was an underhanded deal or not but it has certainly been an underhanded consequence because that's exactly what's happened the president made a promise 15 billion gallons and, and Scott Pruitt fulfilled that promise with a regulation that he issued last November. But as soon as the ink was dry or before it was even dry, then he started to chip away at it with not just the small refinery exemptions that total more than a billion gallons, but by granting Philadelphia Energy Solutions a, you know, a forgiveness on 329 million gallons of its RFS obligation and ignoring a court-ordered remand on 500 million gallons owed to the uh, ethanol industry from the administ- the past administration's failure to implement the 2016 RBO at the full level. So <laughs> he has just whittled away at the demand after uh, promising 15 billion gallons. It's got to end.
1: Well, hopefully you'll get some response on your Freedom of Information requests, but uh, those don't uh, don't always come quickly, do they, if at all?
8: Well, they don't. But, you know, there are other Freedom of Information Act requests that the agency has been sitting on. And one of the reasons that we sent ours as well to the Department of Energy is because the Department of Energy has a role in the determination as to whether or not a waiver request is granted. And I suspect, frankly, the Department of Energy will not be as secretive about this process and will satisfy the demands of the FOIA request sooner and put pressure on EPA to finally come clean and just tell the American public what it is that they've done to the Renewable Fuel Standard, a program that has provided so many economic, energy, and environmental benefits for American consumers across the country.
1: So hopefully we'll get that information and transparency uh, uh, soon. But uh, right now, a lot of questions and a lot of uh, uncertainty over this and what's going on. And, Bob, we appreciate the the update from you, and we'll stay in touch as always. Thank you, my friend.
8: Thanks, Mike.
1: Okay. Bob Danine, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Big, big story there. What's going on? Scott Pruitt has a lot of uh, controversy swirling around him right now. More on the US China situation with Tom Slate with the US Grains Council next on AOA.
3: Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of my pillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. And you can wash and dry my pillow. And here's my best offer ever. Get 4 My Pillows for the price of 1. That's right, get 4 My Pillows. Two premium pillows and two travel pillows for the price of 1. Order My Pillow at 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. Get 4 My Pillows for the price of 1. Call 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. Go to mypillow.com and at checkout use promo code FARM11.
6: All right guys, we're ready for our four season sunroom and Daddy's going to get a rec room with
0: Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub, they require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount.
3: the mighty ProSoro, king of fungicides. Its fast action and long residual make it the keeper of grain quality and yield, the hammer of head and leaf diseases, the number one reducer of scab. When your goal is greater wheat quality and higher yield, use Prosaro fungicide, and the crown of higher profit will be yours. Learn more at ProSoro.us. Always read and follow label instructions.
5: If you or your family love the freedom of swimming any time of year, if you love sharing good times and making great memories, or if you want one of the best total body workouts ever, then it's time to discover the three C's of your very own endless pool. The first C is convenience. Imagine swimming year-round in your own private swimming pool, installed indoors or out, just steps away. The second C is comfort. With sculpted spa seats and your own adjustable temperature, you can easily escape the stress of your day. And the third C is cost. Your endless pool is an affordable luxury at a fraction of the cost of a regular pool. And here's a bonus C. Choice, Because when you call for your free Endless Pool Idea Kit, you'll receive information on our full line of pools to suit your budget and location.
0: Call now for your free information, 800-717-0734, 800-717-0734. Thanks for listening to
7: Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. We're proud of our new affiliates. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network.
0: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture.
1: Now, back to Mike Adams. Welcome back. This RFS question and issue is fascinating, um, very concerning as well. So we've heard Senator Grassley and now Bob Dineen both say they think Scott Pruitt, EPA administrator, is acting on his own, not getting direction from the White House, granting these waivers. So if indeed that is true, I think it it's kind of like the comparison to a, a a football or basketball coach. If something goes on in their program and they're not aware of it, should they have been aware of it? Are they responsible for it, even if they weren't directly involved in it? So I think that question needs to be asked. What did the White House know? When did they know it? But the bigger question is now they do know about it. What will they do about it? And we'll see about that moving forward and uh, whether EPA Administrator Pruitt's going to continue handing out these, these waivers to the RFS, to these refineries. The other big story, of course, is the U.S. and China. And now, you know, the question is, how much of this is just a war of words, not actually a trade war? Well, let's talk about that with Tom Slate, president and CEO of the U.S. Export Grain, U.S. Grains Council. Uh, Tom, thanks for being with us. Whether it's a war of words or a trade war, whatever's happening right now, is it impacting our export of grains to China?
9: Yeah. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Always great to be with you. And uh, yes, it is. Uh, and the trade tensions uh, with uh, between the U.S. and China have been impacting uh, sales for quite some time now, uh, particularly for us uh, when you look at DDGs and the problems we've had with the anti-dumping and countervailing uh, investigations. Corn's been an ongoing problem with uh, biotechnology. Uh, sorghum, uh, the big one for us is, uh, you know, we're we're seeing definitely... Sales continue that are already contracted, but new sales uh, are, are slow in coming. And so, yes, it's impacting us. It's impacting us directly.
1: All right. Now, there's talk of even more of this going on, but there's also talk, well, this is just now kind of uh, opening the way for more negotiations, and that cooler heads are going to prevail. They're going to find the right solution, uh, which is what we're hopeful that they'll come to some kind of understanding. But... Uh, we don't know that i mean what's the potential damage that could be done here tom
9: i think mike you also have to look at this in a broader context uh you know our other markets uh i mean we, we saw new mexico and nafta and they're they're nervous japan and you know, tpp you know they're they're kind of uh looking at you know the u.s in a different way korea just most recently uh, you know they're you know a big our number three customer for corn they're sort of scratching their head, says, hey, what's going on here when they see a, you know, a course agreement agreed to in principle, but then the president's saying, well, wait a second, we're going to add in, uh, you know, add this to the talks on North Korea. And, you know, so uh, you get pulling, sort of pulling the, the, the rug underneath uh, out from underneath the deal. And Southeast Asia, you know, again, another promising market for us, you know, people getting really concerned about how it is to deal with the U.S. on trade. So there's uncertainty in, in these markets all around the world, uncertainty on, in trade, and that's never a thing you want to see happen. And that, the other thing, too, Mike, is, you know, we always talk about, you know, well, you know, nothing's been, you know, trade the, the tariffs have not been imposed, uh, you know, people are talking. Uh, we just sort of listened in a little bit on a, on a press conference by the Ministry of uh, Commerce in China just about, just about an hour ago, and they say there are no talks going on. So So, so what's going on? Um, And we were hopeful that the two countries are talking, but China just said they're not. So this is all concerning. The uncertainty in the marketplace sort of grows uh, each day. uh, And that's not good for when you want to establish a consistent trading relationship with your excellent markets around the world.
1: We have learned already. President Trump's negotiating style. This is the way he is. I mean, uh, it comes out very public with uh, big demands and criticisms, and uh, it's very much out there. Then, uh, then hopefully, the, what we're told, then hopefully, what comes from that is uh, negotiations that follow, and you get you get something worked out. But it just seems to me, again, and we've talked a lot about this, Tom. There, there are consequences for this style, this approach of negotiating.
9: Exactly, you know, Mike. You know, I always say markets have long memories. And then, you know, when countries have been watching how the NAFTA negotiations are going on, they're certainly watching with uh, increased uh, scrutiny with the thing that's going on between the U.S. and China right now. And and they're they're saying, you know, what is it like to do business with the United States now? Uh, you know, unreliable? Are they are they really a reliable supplier, or are we going to get something straightened out, and then of course the deal gets pulled away at the last second? This is what's going on. The stakes are a lot higher now with this, with this grain and for U.S. agriculture, and I think farmers really need to be watching this closely.
1: Let's try to find a positive here. We are hearing the possibility of a U.S.-India trade deal. Uh, how important and how significant would that be, Tom?
9: Well, you know, it has been a lot of talk in town here uh, in and around the world about you know developing alternative markets, and obviously India has been our radar screen for quite some time. And yes, having some sort of a better trade environment with India is imperative because India, while the great potential for our products, uh, uh, it's also a very difficult place to do business in. There's a lot of barriers. You know, uh, you, you know, you, you start at one, get one barrier uh, taken care of, and then there's three or four others that are, r- r- lie just underneath it. So, yeah, you know, it, it's going to take a long time to get that market to, to churn out. And yes, we have a lot of uh, optimism. Uh, Uh, about that market, but a lot of realism that it is a tough market with a lot of protectionist measures put in place for their own farmers. That's going to be really tough to to negotiate through. But uh, yeah, we got got to keep at it. Uh, We certainly will. And and we're going to be enhancing our efforts there. Southeast Asia, another area of of a highlight, a good news there. And even places like the Middle East, you know, we're doing really well there right now, very competitive. And um, in Middle East, North Africa, Saudi Arabia, they're buying a lot of corn right now.
1: So there are some positives out there. They get lost in the, in the headlines and all the news and the shouting back and forth between the U.S. and China. And uh, I would guess your people are spending a lot of time on the ground right now in China trying to reassure them that it's going to be okay?
9: Yeah, yeah, they are, you know, constantly talking to, uh, to importers. Uh, I'll give you one, you know, quote from an importer here just last week, and he said, ah, it's a good thing that the U.S. and and China are are fighting. That means they're talking. That means they're coming closer to uh, uh, some sort of uh, an agreement. So we'll we'll, we'll hold on to that little piece of optimism there.
1: All right. Tom, thank you very much. Uh, We'll talk again. Thank you.
9: Thanks, Mike. Talk to you later.
1: Tom, Tom Slate, president, CEO of the U.S. Grains Council. So these are two huge stories impacting agriculture right now. U.S.-China tensions and the uh, RFS waiver situation with EPA. We'll have more on those stories and much more next week. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks for joining us on AOA, Adams on Agriculture.